Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Anthony Benning. You're listening to Fear the Sword Podcast. Jack Frames podcast, Fear the Swords NBA Draft podcast. My name is Trevor Magnotti. You can find me on Twitter at Illegal Screens. And we are recording here on Thursday, June 6th, meaning we are exactly 14 days away from the 2019 NBA Draft. Very exciting time here in the draft universe. And I thought I would take a stab today as we kind of get an idea of who is getting into the positions that are likely to be picked in the first round to kind of just have an exercise of how a mock draft would go if I was trying to create ideal situations for prospects in this draft class. There have been a lot of rumors about guys who will be going in the first round in spots where maybe they shouldn't, either because they're much more talented than they seem to be getting credit for, or because teams have fallen in love with this or with these types of players, even though they probably should be second round picks at best. Looking at you, Rui and Tyler Hero. You can find more on that type of prospect in last week's episode. But today we're going to focus on a mock draft, one through 30, that's going to kind of run down who. I think I would take based on my big board and kind of the way that that's shaping up in the last little bit before we get to the draft and kind of try to create ideal situations for prospects throughout the, throughout this draft class. Um, so we're going to kind of just quickly run through, obviously this is a Cavs focused podcast, so we will spend a little bit more time on the fifth and 26 picks than we will on the rest of the group, but we'll still kind of just give an idea of kind of where my big board's at based on kind of where I have some guys going and then why I think these would kind of be the right decisions for these players and teams and kind of why a lot of these guys would be really good fits where they're going to end up. So we'll kind of motor through the draft and try to try to get in and out quick with some brief descriptions of some of the other teams and then dive in a little bit on the two players that I have going to the Cavs. Now, I think the one thing to keep in mind with this is I'm not really drafting based on realism. 
I'm basic I'm basing this on kind of how I value prospects in this draft class. So we're not gonna see John Morant go number two. We're not gonna see Rui Hachimura go in the first round, and we're gonna see some guys probably jump up from where they're kind of getting thought of in content. Uh, consensus spots. Uh, good examples of these types of guys would probably be Bull Bull and Grant Williams. You'll probably see them a lot higher um, because I value their skill sets a little bit higher. And you might see some players that I think are not necessarily great fits for the Cavs go a little bit earlier than you ex- would expect because I think that they're really good fits in some other spots. So without further ado, let's, let's launch into this. We used the current draft order, which this being Thursday means that we have now have Atlanta with three picks. We've updated it based on the Allen Crab, Torrey Prince trade. Any trades that happen between now and the release of this podcast, I sincerely apologize, but we are doing the best we can here. So, if anything changes in the draft order, you know that's that's just kind of where we have to go. So, number one, New Orleans. Um, Obviously, Zion Williamson would be who I would take for the Pelicans here. Um, Number one prospect by a country mile in this draft um, would probably be my number two prospect in the 2018 draft and number one in pretty much any other draft of the last five years. Um, I think I think that. You know, this is a team that's going to probably be starting over with whatever's happening with Anthony Davis. So they need a guy that they can build around. And Williamson is the only guy in this draft that I would feel comfortable trying to build anything around as a sole prospect. So I think that that's pretty easy fit. I don't know at this point if you would find anyone that is reliable to listen to that would have anything different at this point. But as we said, we're talking about my board and what I would do, not so much the NBA consensus. So we get to number two, Memphis. Um, so that means that John Morant, is, who's probably going to go to the Grizzlies, is not going to end up being that guy. Instead, I have a difficult decision, probably going to choose either Jarrett Culver or R.J. Barrett. This kind of goes down to kind of what you value in terms of the Grizzlies rebuild and kind of where their roster sets up for these two guys to create success. Obviously, there's a little bit of fluidity with that. We still don't know where Mike Conley's going to go or if he's going to go anywhere this summer. Um, They definitely could be making some moves with some of the guys that they brought over in the regular season at the trade deadline. But I think that the main player that you have to focus on with Memphis here is Jaron Jackson Jr., Who fits best with him? Who helps you create an identity around uh, around Jackson, who is probably your best player, perhaps even this year if Conley's still there and and definitely beyond? So in that case, I'm going to take Culver over Barrett. I think that it's a little bit better fit in terms of the defensive identity that you can build around Culver and Jackson. I think that they're both on similar timelines in terms of their development into scorers. Kind of importantly, it probably ensures that they're bad again next year. And also it creates a kind of optimal situation for one of their other fringe guys that I really like, but spent most of the year with an injury and doesn't really get thought of as one of their like foundational pieces, Dylan Brooks of Oregon. I think that he's a guy that RJ would be marginalizing to a large degree if he ended up in Memphis. And I think that it's worth it 
to kind of consider the fit of Culver next to Brooks because I think that Brooks can turn into somebody who is a really valuable, cheap player for Memphis throughout this rebuild. So I would take Culver number two. That creates R.J. Barrett number three to New York, a very obvious fit here. You know, I would I like Barrett as a better fit in New York than I do Culver. I like Culver as a better fit in Memphis than I do Barrett. So it's a pretty easy turnaround here to take RJ number three, put him in whatever the Knicks are going to be next year. It sounds like they are probably going to end up with another star and actually be relevant again. But even if they strike out, you get a foundational piece that you can build around and can at least carry an offense um, and I think he's still a guy that they're going to invest a lot in in a way that I don't know that the Knicks would invest in one of the other young guys that they could take at the three spot. I think when you're talking about a team that's trying to add max contract talent, this is a team that's trying to push to be competitive. And I really think that the name recognition of Barrett and him being used as a selling point to try to get those free agents there, I think makes him a player that they're going to value a lot more than um, the skill sets of like a Jarrett Culver or John Morant. And I think will be more likely to use next year with his shot creation ability. So Barrett to New York makes sense. The Lakers at four, a little bit difficult. Um, a lot of different ways that you can go here. Looks like they're probably going to be considering Culver, Darius Garland, and DeAndre Hunter at the four. But really, I think that trying to get a guy who can provide a lot of defensive value at the four and the five to help take some pressure off of LeBron, who is deteriorating rapidly on that end and can be a nice play finisher with maybe some upside moving forward is nice. So it's kind of off the cuff here and this isn't as high as I have him rated, but Brandon Clark sounds like a great fit for the Lakers, a guy who can play a lot of minutes at the five. I think of, Eventually, a guy who makes sense as a finisher in transition along with LeBron and Lonzo Ball. I think he's a guy who can fit a lot of the lineups that the Lakers are going to try to run with their current roster and provides a lot of value. You can talk about the shooting issue because Clark is still not a great shooter at this juncture, but he's good enough. Uh, to have some long-term viability. I think that, you know, that doesn't solve that issue, but that's not something that I think is going to necessarily be solved in this draft for this team, and I think that Clark makes the most sense for them kind of elsewhere. You get the body that's going to be the guy who's going to take LeBron's defensive assignments, can play well as a compliment to LeBron as a cutter, and just kind of gets the game at a level that, you know, they were sorely missing last year with JaVale McGee at the five. So not a bad fit there. And I think that while it's a little bit of a reach, I think that Clark's a pretty good outcome for the Lakers at four, even though they're probably never going to consider him um, for this spot. So that brings us to the Cavs. Jarrett Culver's gone, which is disappointing, I know. But DeAndre Hunter is there. And that seems like an obvious uh, option 1A for Cleveland. So I'll take DeAndre Hunter. I think that the fit of Hunter on this roster is seamless. Um, I think that he's a guy that you can plug in at the three and expect to probably become a very reliable starting caliber player, even if he doesn't have, you know, a lot of star potential, even if his like positive outcome is probably like a Marvin Williams type. I think that he's a guy that is going to elevate 
the level of play for this team, especially on the defensive end. Um, just having an individual defender who can defend on ball at the point of attack and also make some good reads on the team defense aspect. I think that he's a guy that really makes a lot of sense for the Cavs there. I like the fit next to Jetty Osman. I like the fit along with Kevin Love and Larry Nance in terms of defensive ability. Um, I, th- I think that this is just a r- guy that's going to unlock a lot of per- positional versatility for this team that we really haven't seen from them since LeBron left. So I think that Hunter is the obvious choice at five. So that's going to be where I'm going to go. I think the Cavs, you know, they miss out on Culver in this exercise because obviously I value Culver pretty highly and he was going to go before them. But Hunter's not a bad consolation, as, I, as I've kind of talked about time and again on this podcast and elsewhere. So that creates a much more palatable situation for John Morant at six. Um, we're going with him there. Pretty obvious fit for Morant in Phoenix. I think that he's probably the best playmaking point guard that they could go with for the Six spot. I mean, this is a team that was running out Elliot Kobo as its best passer, and that is not a high bar to clear. So getting a passer, the caliber of John Morant, really is going to help make Devin Booker a little better, is going to make their offense run a little bit more smoothly. Even if he has a lot of issues to overcome, I mean, this Suns team is not going anywhere right now. It's going to be a couple years. He's got time to make mistakes. Really like that fit. Really easy, obvious fit for Phoenix. Chicago also needs a point guard at seven, and I think that this is going to probably come as a surprise for some people. Kobe White is the guy that I would think if you're following this podcast, you would think I would pencil in there, but actually going to go with Darius Garland. This is twofold. Uh, One, I think that Garland is probably more likely to be the guy that the Bulls would take in this scenario, and two, I think that White fits a little bit better a couple spots later, so we're going to get to him in a minute. Garland's fit, I think, is... Optimal because if he hits, I think that he's the type of player that you want at the command with the rest of the Bulls star pieces. Um, I think that he's a comfortable pick and roll scorer who's going to help find Wendell Carter Jr. a lot and make him a lot better. I think that he's going to be helped a lot by Lowry Markinen and he's going to create a lot of spacing for Zach Levine to be able to attack. And I think he makes Levine a little bit expendable. And I think that that's valuable for them because he is kind of their number one guy right now. But I think that he's also a guy, uh, the type of number one that you don't want to have be your number one guy. So if Garland hits there, I think that he has a great uh, chance of success with the rest of their roster. I think that he's a good fit there, and I think the Bulls are a good fit for them, even if it's a little clunky with Levine. Atlanta also probably going to be a little bit surprising because I'm taking Cam Reddish there. The argument there is if you're going to have Cam Reddish be a floor or be a floor spacer and count on him to be kind of a volume three point shooter, having him come up in an offense that has the gravity of both Trey Young, Kevin Herter, and Alan Crabb on their roster to be able to help kind of direct attention away from Reddish is pretty optimal. I mean, that's about as far as away from Duke's spacing as you can possibly get. This team is going to be a mess defensively still, and adding Crab and getting rid of Tareen Waller-Prince definitely does not help that, but I think that Reddish has the potential to be a solid defender for them, and I think provides a little bit of value there, and also I think this is the best possible spot for the Cam Reddish as a role player I. Uh, 
archetype or outcome to actually come to fruition. Um, so Atlanta, with the first of their three picks, they can they can with those three picks afford to take a couple home run swings, and I've got them doing so with this pick with Cam Reddish. That puts Kobe White at nine with the Wizards. Um, competent point guard play is going to be something that they're going to be missing next year with John Wall still out and the likelihood that Tomas Sadoransky is probably leaving in free agency. So take White, and at the baseline, he becomes probably your third guard, which is a position they have really struggled to fill. At the best, he, or actually probably worst case scenario, if you're the Wizards, he becomes your starter of the future if John Wall is just never the same and you really have to focus on trying to offload that monster contract of Walls. Um, I think that point guard is something that kind of gets underrated for the Wizards draft needs, so I'll take White there. Back around to Atlanta at 10, we get Bowl Bowl. I think that this is the optimal fit for Bowl in the NBA. I think that Getting him on a team with John Collins, who is the perfect foil for Bull's skill set, I think is something that you're going to want. I think, again, this is the team that can afford to take a couple home run swings with the number of picks that they have. And I think that they're a team that's going to be pretty good at developing Bull into the type of player that he needs to become to be functional, particularly on the defensive end. So I like the fits with all that stuff. And I think that that's where I would like to see Bull land. So I'm going to take him at 10. That puts Minnesota, uh, Minnesota with Grant Williams, obvious fit Grant and Carl Anthony Towns makes a great fit for the um or makes a great fit kind of offensively for those two's ability to make good decisions on the offensive end and keep an offense flowing from the post Williams also becomes the type of defender that they need next to Andrew Wiggins to have him be anything close to viable so I think that that's kind of an optimal fit and this is where I would like to see Grant Williams go too bad that Minnesota is going to be taking Hachimura or some equivalent in this draft more than likely um was kind of speeding through the middle of the first round because this was a little bit of the tougher scenario here. Um, these are these are kind of guys where I think there's a lot of room from this 12 to 20 range where you can kind of see a lot of different guys go a lot of different places and there aren't necessarily ideal fits for different guys, um, but we'll just kind of speed through this here. Number 12, Jackson Hayes, Charlotte, uh, just best player available, I guess. I have a really hard time assessing what their actual needs are and if they don't have a point guard on the board, they are really kind of screwed in terms of draft potential. So let's just take the best modern big that they have, a guy that's going to push Frank Kaminsky out of the rotation and make him expendable and kind of make their center position a little bit more palatable. 13, I like Miami taking Romeo Langford. I think that he's kind of an ideal guy for them to get their hands on and get their development team working with. If anybody's going to get Langford to be a positive defender, it's probably Miami. And I think that his shooting is going to come around again after you know, dealing with a thumb injury. So I'm a little bit more optimistic on Langford than I previously had been. And I think that he would be a really, really nice fit at the two for Miami. Boston also has three picks here. Um, so this is a little bit interesting. I'm trying to decipher where their needs are and what they need to do. I'm going to take PJ Washington at 14 for their the first of their picks. Um, so they're going to end up with get a guy who I think kind of fills 
a gap for them and creates a little bit more lineup versatility. They really struggled to kind of fill that four position that is mobile enough and also big enough to be able to punish guys on switches when Al Horford was sitting. Um, I think that, you know, Semi Ojale, for as much as I like him, you know, he's probably kind of a fringe guy at best. And Marcus Morris is Marcus Morris. You take the good and the bad with him. So I like Washington as a potential Morris replacement in free agency. Um, I, th- I think that he's just a guy that's going to be defendable for him and create a lot of the same problems on offense and defense that Morris did for other teams. Detroit really had a hard time figuring out where I wanted to go with Detroit. So I ended up taking this here little for them. Um, I, I think that he, you know, fits what their roster needs in terms of just having like a shot maker who also can defend a little bit on the wing. Um, He kind of reminds me a little bit of Stanley Johnson and they just traded away Stanley Johnson. I don't really know that they did a great job developing him, but it's a new staff. Maybe take another shot at that position because they really need help at the three. Um, So not really... A negative pick there in a way that I think Whittle could be for a lot of other teams. Um, So Detroit felt like a really good fit there. Um, 16, Orlando, yet another team that I have a hard time trying to figure out where they're going to go. Nick Vucevic may be leaving in the offseason, so maybe it's justifiable they could take a center. But they did also just take uh, Mo Bamba, so maybe not. Um, And we know that John Hammond likes wingspan, so Taylor Horton Tucker. We'll take him as kind of the defensive three option that most importantly gives them a 7-1 wingspan and a 6-4 body. I think that John Hammond has Horton Tucker high on his vision board. Feels pretty obvious, and it's not the worst fit because he also might have a little bit of the creation ability that this team has kind of lacked throughout the last few years. We go to 17, Atlanta's third pick. Um, We've spent two kind of risky selections for them, so now let's kind of tap into taking what I think would be a safer pick um, that I think would make a lot of sense. If you're going to take Bowl, you might as well fit him next to another big who makes a ton of good decisions, is a really good passer, and can kind of cover for him on the defensive end. Basically give them kind of like a poor man's Al Horford setup. And I think that's what Goga Batadze is. I think that they're a team that's likely to draft international, and I think that he's a guy who in particular fits really nicely next to Collins, who's a little bit more athletic next to bowl. Who's a really good shooter. And I think can create kind of an optimal three man, big rotation for them. That's very young, but can come up together and and be pretty valuable. Plus Atlanta, you know, they like their Georgian centers with Zaza Pachulia's success there. Um, So not unprecedented for them. So Atlanta ends up with Cam Reddish, Bull Bull, and Goga Batadze. I think that's a pretty good draft for them. And more importantly, that's a pretty good setup for those three players in particular and makes them a little bit more valuable than they probably are in a vacuum. 18, let's give the Indiana Pacers a Thaddeus Young replacement because they're probably going to let him walk in free agency, I have to assume, and just give the four crown over to Demonis Sabonis. So let's just give them another guy who kind of reminds of Thaddeus Young in terms of skill set and I think is projectable to kind of play a similar role in the NBA. Um, Demboya, I think, is is a pretty natural fit for Indiana there um, because we know that his player archetype works and we know that they're not necessarily scared of taking international guys and and working with them. Um, So I I think that that's a pretty good fit for them. 
San Antonio with two picks. They're going to pick at 19. Um, so that's going to be Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Um, I think that DeJunte Murray, they're probably going to look to move on from him in the summer just because I think he'll be in a little bit of demand because they probably are going to go with Derek White as their point guard of the future. So get a combo guard who kind of can fill in, um, maybe help make the transition from Patty Mills when his contract is up and just kind of fits as like a secondary playmaker type that can kind of fill in behind DeMar DeRozan and Derek White. Um, pretty safe option for them there. Uh, Boston's third pick, I'm going to go a little bit, or second pick, I'm going to go a little bit risky for him just because I really can't find a spot for this guy in the draft. You know, he's a guy who I think is probably going to go much earlier than this in reality, but also I have a hard time kind of figuring out where is going to be an optimal development spot for him. But Kevin Porter Jr., is still on the board, so I'm going to take him to Boston, um, give them a two-guard who has a little bit of creation upside. Um, maybe he can kind of fit in in between Jalen Brown and whatever they're going to have at the point guard next year. Um, and I think that that's just kind of a, a just kind of a decent fit for them at the two guard to just kind of fit in um, with what they have going on on their roster right now. Um, I think that they're also a good spot to kind of develop some of the more problematic tendencies for Porter and kind of turn them into something valuable. They do a pretty good job of that. So, you know, maybe he becomes the type of secondary uh, shot maker who you know, they've kind of needed on their bench units for the last couple of years. And, you know, if he fails, they have three picks. So um, not the worst option, not the worst option there. Oklahoma City, I really like Matisse Thibel here, but I don't quite want to go with him just because this is a team that needs shooting more than anything. Um, and in particular, needs shooting at the four spot that can play next to Paul George and also next to Jeremiah Grant and provide a lot of value as a four spacer there. Um, so Johnson, give him the best shooter in the draft off movement. And I think that that's a pretty good setup for Oklahoma City. Um, so I think it's a little early maybe for Cam Johnson, but this is a pretty optimal spot. Um, so you're going to notice a theme here. There's one of the first guys that I have pegged as a really solid option for the Cavs at 26 going off the board. 22, uh, Boston up again. They're picking their third pick. I'm going to take Jonte Porter there because they've got enough bigs to be able to um, – They've got enough bigs to be able to kind of hide him and let him kind of just incubate and recover. But also, none of those bigs are really good enough to kind of be long-term guys. So you let Porter get a chance to get healthy. Um, if he beco if he becomes healthy again, I think he becomes you know the successor to Al Horford as their playmaking five. And if not, again, you already have two other picks, and you don't necessarily need all of those um, to become or to hit to have a successful draft. So they end up with PJ, Kevin Porter, and Jonte Porter, not a necessarily terrible option for the Celtics. Number 23, I like Chuma Okeke for the Jazz. Um, no real reason here other than I think that they just kind of need another guy who can be a wing that can defend and can provide a little bit of lineup versatility. Um, I think that he fits in at the four, and I think that he's a guy that – you know, is a safe option for this team. They also don't necessarily need him to play next year to um, be providing value. So, you know, we'll go with that. 24, Philadelphia, 
Uh, I like a backup center for them. I really think they've struggled to try to find an ideal fit that can come in and play when Embiid is sitting. So Nick Claxton of Georgia may be a little bit of an upside swing for them um, as a two-way big that I think can switch on the perimeter and can be a valuable asset in Brett Brown's defense. Um, And I think on offense brings enough potential that he could turn into something really valuable if he is able to extract a little bit of that offensive value. So um, this was a spot where I think that Bowl would make a lot of sense. This is a spot where Batadze would make a lot of sense. But I think that with all the other center options off the board, I really like Claxton as a fit there. Okay. It is with a heavy heart that at 25, the Portland Trailblazers are going to ruin the Cavs' day. If you've been kind of following along closely and you're kind of looking at who the Cavs could take at 26, you know there's one name that we all really like on the board and it's Matisse Seibel of Washington. And I decided to make things interesting for myself, and I'm just going to put Thibault in Portland. Um, Thibault as a defender off the bench with Willard and McCollum is a pretty interesting fit, and I think that they're the type of team specifically that can help cover for his lack of shooting and could really use the defensive impact for him off ball on bench units when they have to rely heavily on, you know, Seth Curry and Lillard or Seth Curry and McCollum, some combination of the of those two guys with, you know, without their other starters on the floor. So um Thibel makes a lot of sense for Portland. And the fit there was just too good to pass up. Um, so he goes one spot ahead of the Cleveland Cavaliers, much to probably a lot of your chagrins together. Um, so Cavs are on the clock. Options here. Um, we've talked about Iggy Brazdikis before. Um, I'm not super excited by that, so I don't really see much of a much of a interest in doing that. Um, they could go to Vitas Servitas, but I don't think they're going to go international. Ty Jerome makes a little bit of sense as like a secondary playmaker, but I'm not super big on him either. And then Keldon Johnson is probably my best player available, but, um, I don't want to be the guy, the team that's trying to hinge a little bit of value on getting something out of Keldon Johnson. So instead we're going to take Keldon Johnson, but older and a little bit more functional. We're going to take Terrence Davis of Ole Miss, a player I talked about in the Portsmouth Invitational podcast. You can go back and listen to that for my takes on Davis kind of more in depth. Um, guy who kind of fills all of the needs that the Cavs have. He's a very good sh- shooter off the catch and a little bit off the dribble. He can provide some secondary playmaking value because his passing technique is very good. And he is a very good defensive communicator who has a lot of drive and is very competitive. So I think that he kind of checks a lot of the boxes, even if he doesn't, I wouldn't say he's elite in any of those situations. Um, So I think that he, I just think that he is a really good partner for Colin Sexton, a guy who, Also kind of has that pathologic work ethic that I think can drive Sexton to be a little bit better and I think is a really good culture fit for this team. Um, So the Cavs are ending up with DeAndre Hunter. They're ending up with Terrence Davis. I think with this draft, you're getting two very, very solid um, secondary secondary wing types who may not be star-level talents but can definitely develop into serviceable guys who can play minutes on a average to good team. And I think that that's what you're aiming for, for the Cavs. If you don't end up taking RJ Hunter or RJ Barrett or 
uh, Jarrett Culver. Uh, we did, de- we took Deandre Hunter. We definitely don't need to be taking RJ Hunter, um, who, on the fringe of the league. Maybe we can get him on a two way, but, uh, so yeah, we end up with Hunter and Terrence Davis, um, kind of a blot draft in terms of pop, but I think two guys that are likely to play roles next year and fit the roster very well, um, to be, to be able to create, uh, probably a starting lineup of Sexton, Clarkson, um, Hunter, Love, and Nancer, Tristan Thompson, and whatever free agents that we sign that we sign could end up uh, supplanting one of those guys, obviously. And then you get Davis off the bench, a really nice fit next to Sexton in those minutes, a guy who can kind of handle some creation load if you're if there's an injury to Sexton or Clarkson, and we you know can actually be like a viable type. I think is ready to uh, ready to contribute next year and maybe provide some positive value that they may not get out of some of these other options at 26. So not a uh, not a bad draft for the Cavs, all things considered here. Um, even if some of our favorite options didn't end up falling to us in this exercise, but I mean they would be or they wouldn't be my favorite options if they were available for the Cavs. I think in this exercise. So let's rifle through the last four picks. Um, 27, Davidis Servetus to Brooklyn. Uh, I don't know. They'll take the international guy. Um, 28, Ty Jerome to Golden State. Perfect fit for a guy who a lot of draft Twitter is going to be very excited about him ending up on the Warriors because he's a good fit on paper. And then he also has that crippling weakness of his athleticism that could potentially doom him and make him a very, very comical player to be playing in an NBA Finals. So that pretty much fits in line with everything that they've done in the draft over the last six years. So pretty good outcome, uh, I would say, for our friends over in Golden State. 29, San Antonio, Yovel Zeusman, best international on the board, and I think they'll get a lot out of him. Um, I don't know what specifically that means, but, you know, it's the Spurs. They'll figure it out. And then a fit that I really like, um, this is for our buddy T.I. Windish, um, a guy I suggested to him to pick up for the Bucks at 30, um, and I think that he's a pretty good fit, and he ends up falling to them right here. And that's Eric Pascal of Villanova, big guy who can be a three-point shooter, who can fit next to next to Giannis, provide some floor spacing, um, and just gives them another shooting weapon. So uh, pretty good setup. So I would say that that's about it for this draft. Um, best players on the board that I did not take end up being uh, Keldon Johnson. Who I had or who I had at 22 on my last big board update, and it's probably going to be moving down a little bit. Iggy Brasdikas, same thing. He was at 26 and has probably moved down into firm second round talent. Uh, Daniel Gafford, Josh Reeves, and Shamori Pons, all guys that you know I think could fit certain places, but I'm not super high on. Um, so that's kind of how this draft goes. I put Hunter and Terrence Davis on the Cavs. Um, if that's an outcome on draft night, I think that the Cavs have to be pretty happy with that. Um, and I hope that this was an interesting and entertaining exercise to kind of adapt what my big board is to the actual draft order and kind of see things through the lens of how we can create kind of some optimal situations that might elevate some of these prospects in or and a majority of these prospects actually to be able to create kind of the best possible situations for these guys. And I think that's probably the opposite of what's going to end up happening in two weeks on th- June 20th. Um, so 
you can remember you can find our podcast at Fear the Sword Podcast Network on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcasts. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Legal Screens, and you can or and you can follow along with my draft writing at the Step Back and Fear the Sword. There, um, we'll probably have one more episode before the uh, end of or before the draft comes on June twentieth. That will likely be a big board reveal that will uh, coincide with me probably releasing my final board at the step back before then I'll also be releasing a Cavs specific big board prior to the draft hopefully can get that cranked out before that Thursday but uh, two big boards coming from me um, so we'll get kind of my final rankings at that time Um, so stay tuned for both of those things and Um, Hopefully the actual draft goes as well for the Cavs as this mock draft ended up or potentially even better.